Hello and welcome to The Double Double. My name is David Dixon and it is Friday, October 2nd here in New York City. Hope everyone is doing well, staying safe and healthy as we continue to confront the coronavirus pandemic. Coming up today on the podcast is a special emergency NBA edition of The Double Double with my friend and Philadelphia 76ers superfan Leo Klibanoff. Doc Rivers has announced he is signing to be the new head coach of the Philadelphia 76ers. Had to have Leo on to, to break it all down as he's been following this story from the beginning of when they fired Brett Brown and even before that with their coaching situation. So it was a great talk. Hoping everyone enjoys it. And then after the Sixers, we, we touch on the NBA Finals game one and just some adjustments and things that we are looking forward to seeing going forward. So without further ado, I'm going to hit the music. And when I come back, we joined by Leo Klibanoff. Joining me now on the line for a special emergency edition of the Double Double is my friend, I guess technically former assistant coach, uh, Leo Klibanoff. Leo's been a guest on this pod a couple of times. For those who may not know, he's a Philadelphia 76ers super fan. And last night, I think, before the, you know, the world focused on a, on a different story, Doc Rivers fired from the Clippers within two days, seemingly hired as the new coach of the Philadelphia 76ers on a five-year deal. Leo, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? How are you processing this news and just uh, just how are you feeling about the whole thing? Yeah, uh, thanks for having me on again, Dave. Pleasure, my, and it's great to be back. And with the Sixers, you know, it, it, everything happened so quickly. And you know, once he, I, I think my first question was, you know, does he want to stay in the? Does he want to keep coaching? That's because mm-hmm. you know, Nate McMillan, Nate McMillan said he did not want to coach again for maybe one or two years because he still has a couple years left on his contract, and he's still going to get you know ten plus million in the next two years. So, right. some maybe some people want to take time off, but. Obviously, Doc wants to stay in the game. He wants to love the game, and um, it's great to have a well-respected coach like him. Um, commands a lot of respect and has a lot of uh, connections in, uh, to players and other people in the NBA. So, so it's, a, it's a good signing in the city of brotherly love. That is one of the most amazing things about Doc Rivers is, yes, he's a championship coach, obviously winning that 2008 title with the Celtics. He was a former player in the NBA for, for many, many years. But as you said, he seemingly is just so well-respected and so well-liked around the league by so many people from players to executives to other coaches kind of just what are you feeling about just like having not that Brett Brown wasn't well respected but but someone who everyone is now going to be like this dude is an awesome coach like you don't have to worry about like the coaching side of things because Brett Brown everyone was very quick to criticize him yeah um I think for as the Sixers they the biggest appeal for having a coach these days is because it's a player-driven league is that your coach can, if you have a well-respected coach, players want to play for them. Mm-hmm. Um, so you may be able to drive some better talent into the city. Um, you know, former guys that dock as coach or people that like him maybe want to play for him again. I think um, you're always going to get scrutinized in the city of Philadelphia. Like any, any move he makes, like right now it's you're in the glory period. You've got like, people are going to be like, yeah, we have Doc Rivers, but soon right. when they start playing basketball again, he will get, get criticized for whatever he does because he will in the city anyway. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, he's got a championship to his resume, so that, that adds some stability to 
um, you know, people criticizing him. Yeah, whenever the NBA comes back and starts the 2021 uh, season, it'll be like if there is a preseason game or just a scrimmage game like they did this year in the bubble, if he tries a substitution pattern in, in one game <laughs> with, with the guys who are 14th or 15th on the roster, you, you know Philly fans and the Philly media is just going to eat him alive for just like, what is he doing? Yeah, exactly. So are you concerned at all about what the the way that he left the Clippers of the team imploding? It didn't really seem like they had great chemistry this year, managing a lot of different personalities because you get, you have a Philly, Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, the two best players on the team, who by all reports, you know, they're not best friends, but they're not enemies either. So like, are, are you concerned about Doc's ability to kind of mesh all the personalities and chemistry on on the Sixers. Yeah. Um, Doc was let go for a reason. He was on the market for a reason. So there are things I'm worried about um, mm-hmm. as Doc. Like he first, definitely first and foremost was that he wasn't be able to manage the um, personalities of Kawhi and Paul George with the rest of the team. Um, he kind of put them in a different level and tier than the rest of the guys. And, and Philly, it's always going to be like that with Embiid and Simmons. They are going to be favored more than any any other person on the team because they're the cornerstones of the franchise. So yes, that's number one. And number two, like you've got other things like his substitution patterns. Why was Mantras Harrell playing over his Dubox? It was clear Harrell was not the same person. And all the stats so, back it up. Yeah, and then probably third is like player development. He had did not have a good history of developing players in LA. And Philly like is one of the top player development um with Brett Brown, like they had like ten plus guys on their staff just devoted to player development. Like right. each each player had a team of coaches for player development. So is maybe that's a and you know it, maybe Elton Brand says you know we're keeping this. You need to have these coaches on your team or on your staff. Or maybe Doc goes in a different direction and is, is not developing these players. Like I think those are the three things that uh, come out to me as Doc that I'm a little worried about. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That's that's about it. And, you know, it is interesting because when he went to the Clippers, it was really a win now. They had Chris Paul. They had Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan, a team that was built to win then. Obviously, the whole Donald Sterling situation happens. And then they bring in Steve Ballmer, who's one of the richest people in the entire world and was willing to spend a lot of money on assistant coaches, front office personnel, and and players – I think it'll be interesting to see if, if he doesn't have that luxury. Now, you know, Josh Harris and, and David Blitzer, you're, the, the Sixers owners are very, very wealthy individuals as well. But it'll be interesting to see with the lack of roster flexibility, really, because of the Al Horford contract and just different things that happened last summer, how much are the owners willing to keep spending and keep spending uh, for the things that Doc wants? Because maybe Doc just has to compromise and, and actually saying, like, look, we got to have these player development coaches and try to develop players because our ownership group isn't going to go out and spend into the luxury tax or we just don't have the, the flexibility to, to really trade players. Yeah, that with Harrison Blitzer, they are willing to spend to win a championship. We saw it last summer. Like, they want to win. Mm-hmm. I, that, that They definitely have said that, and I do believe they want to win. I don't know if they know how to, but they want to do that. <laughs> but um, they... You don't know, like there's a pandemic and the, the salary cap's probably going to be lowered and they're going to be hit more by the luxury tax. And they, like Harrison, Harris has gotten richer over the pandemic, so maybe that will help and whether they can spend more money. But uh, yeah, of course, that 
you know, are they are they going to be able to? Will they? Can they move Horford for, you know, a cheaper contract? Can they trade Harris? I don't know if they actually want to trade Harris anymore because Doc um, had a great uh, history with Toby in LA, had his best season in his career. But yeah, that's definitely a big uh, has to be on the mind of Doc Rivers. Now, what's interesting was Mike D'Antoni, by all accounts, was also in the running for for this position. You know, the Sixers interviewed a lot of different candidates. But it seemed like, at least to me, that Mike D'Antoni was was a logical fit as he was on Brett Brown's staff as an assistant for that one year when I think they won like 10 games. But he was on that <laughs> staff before he got that Houston job was getting back into coaching. By all accounts, like the city of Philadelphia. And D'Antoni is a guy who has taken very talented point guards and has elevated them to true MVP status. And you could say Ben Simmons is not a true point guard the way that Steve Nash is. Well, James Harden wasn't really a point guard either before Mike D'Antoni was more of a, a, of a two guard. I would have thought that D'Antoni would have made the most sense to really try to maximize Ben Simmons. But what do you think of, of the decision to go not with Mike D'Antoni? Right. So the Sixers wanted, I mean, I don't know how much they interviewed, um, how many guys they interviewed, like, if Clippers are going to have an extensive search, but do they find that next Nick Nurse or Steve Kerr, whoever it be, the Sixers were kind of looking at guys who have already coached before, Billy Donovan, Ty Lue, mm-hmm. Mike D'Antoni, and now Doc Rivers. You know, I personally wanted Ty Lue as a coach. I think he would have been a great fit. Um, but with D'Antoni, yeah, the pieces were definitely a big question mark. Can they um, were they going to work in his system? Was he going to be flexible enough to make it work? I, I think it was reported that he wanted to move Toby to back to the four, keep, move Ben back to the one, uh, have Joel stretch the floor more. Um, D'Antoni doesn't really like post ups, mm-hmm. so that would have been interesting. But yeah, as a guard, it, will he, will he, would he have been pressured? Would he have pressured Ben Simmons enough to shoot that ball? Um, as everyone has failed to do so so far in Philly, and that's that was the number one thing. And yeah, so I think Ben is an evolution. The evolution of Ben really is can he shoot? And if he can, if he's willing to shoot, he can be a point guard in the league. But if he can, I don't really see him as a point guard. So I think ownership they wanted D'Antoni. They love the they they're big analytics guys. Right. Yeah. D'Antoni's a big analytics guys. They ha- they have. The, familiarity similarity familiarity with uh d'antoni as he was coach in the past i think they really wanted that guy i'm not sure elton brand did but um i think that's maybe why doc rivers kind of came into the conversation i think elton was more looking at Ty Lue. ownership was looking at d'antoni and it was meeting that middle maybe it's that doc rivers and they both were like yeah let's get this guy so i think that's why they went with doc and what's really interesting is that so they hired doc and they and doc agreed to a five-year contract and basically for the last two seasons, really, when both Embiid and Simmons were both fully healthy, the discussion was always like, do they fit? Do they not fit? Do they have to trade one of the one of the two? And that talk got escalated a lot during the bubble and the uh, unfortunate first round exit in four games to, to Boston with, without Ben Simmons that, hey, Philly, this isn't working. You got to blow it up and trade one of these two guys. If I'm a Philly fan or just someone on that team, signing Doc Rose to a five-year deal – I don't think Doc is taking this job without the guarantee of we're going to have both Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. Like, I don't think that he would sign up for it losing one of the losing an all star in a trade, unless, you know, they're saying we're going to try to get an all star back. But, like, I don't think he's coming for like a rebuild in some way or, or, or like a teardown. Yeah, I think that was why Doc so quickly became a candidate was because it was, it was a popular job. You have two 
arguably top 10, 15 players in the league. Mm. Um, so young, and Doc compared them earlier when they played Philly back in uh, February to Kareem and Magic. Like he, I think Doc wants to work with these guys and really test them and see if they can reach their respective ceilings. So I think um, Doc really liked that and. Uh, to be in Philadelphia, a pretty big market, and mm-hmm. to be get a lot of probably presumably a lot of money and guaranteed five years from the owners was a big thing for him. So the last thing before we transition to the NBA Finals is now the Eastern Conference top half is just absolutely loaded in terms of the coaches. We have Toronto, Nick Nurse won a championship. Boston, Brad Stevens regarded as one of the best basketball minds in the league. Miami obviously has Eric Spolstra, tremendous, probably Hall of Fame coach. Coach Bud out in Milwaukee has, even though you could say he's he's underperformed in the playoffs, with two different teams and in three different seasons, he's won like 60 games. Like That means that you're a very good coach. Winning 60 games in the NBA is very, very hard to do. And now you've added Doc Rivers, another championship coach, to this top half of the Eastern Conference. We don't even know what Steve Nash is like. So as, so as you're just a fan and also just as this young coach, what is it like knowing that with your team, if you get into the playoffs, it's going to be this coaching X's and O war to advance to just the, like the second round? Yeah. Um, each of these coaches are different in their own ways, and they're all tremendous coaches. Um, Nick Nurse you know, will make a lot of different changes and risks. I'm not sure how much Doc Rivers will. Like we saw with the Clippers, he didn't make too many adjustments over the series. Like he's a great coach, great X's and O's guy. But are, is, will Doc make the right adjustments? Will he stop switching so and so on who? Will he? Uh, will he switch up the substitution patterns? Will he switch up the matchups? He didn't really do that much in L.A. this year, even with the Mavs and the Nuggets. So um, did they, they they kept doubling Jokic or what? You know, whatever they did. Mm-hmm. Um, that didn't really make a lot of sense. So I, I'm questioning, can Doc match those elite-level coaches in their uh, adjustments they make from game to game? But at, on the outset, like, yeah, it's, Doc Rivers is a great X and O's guy, and he's won in the playoffs before, so it should be a great, great thing to watch next year in the playoffs. 100%. And speaking of adjustments, there's, there's going to be some coaching adjustments from at least one side of the NBA Finals. In Game 1, the Lakers versus the Miami Heat, the Lakers won 116-98, to 98, and there was times where the Lakers were up by 30 points on, on Wednesday night in, in Game 1. Anthony Davis was, was the star. He finished with 34 points and 9 rebounds, 5 assists. LeBron was awesome, 25 points, 13 rebounds, 9 assists. What was just your overall takeaway from Game 1 from just the Lakers side of things? The Lakers, they they really, aside for the first couple minutes, they really came out, you know, ready to go. And those guys defensively were locked in. And they yeah. were once, once they were hitting a lot of shots, it was like this just onslaught for Miami. They could not keep up. And with the injuries to Miami, like the, the dominance of Anthony Davis, you know, uh, navigating double teams, kicking it out to open guys for threes. Um, they they were, they were very locked in, especially defensively. And they, when they're hitting threes, that's a tough team to beat. And it's funny, you know, as you said, they started a little slow. They were down ten or thirteen points uh, in, in in the first quarter, and then there was one play in particular where Tyler Hero got like an outlet pass and was sloppy with one dribble, and the Lakers stole it and I think scored. And that was just like the switch that the Lakers. It was like 
the it just turned them it just flipped the switch from off to on of we're attack mode like they can't handle the like pressure and or at least in that game or what it seemed like and from that moment on like the lakers just dominated the basketball game just absolutely dominated. It was, it was amazing just to see. It was like off of one turnover by, by Tyler Hero, who really struggled. And I know plus minus, you can do a lot of things with it. But he was a minus 35 in his 30 minutes. Like that is just brutal. But it was amazing just to see. It was like after that one play, just the switch completely flipped for the Lakers. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, Tyler Hero, like credit to him. Like rookies don't always show up in the playoffs. And uh, he has up until this point. For sure. And um, we'll see playing the Lakers and LeBron James is a different battle mentally. So we'll see if Tyler can uh, keep up that hot streak. And it was amazing too, because around that same time in the first quarter or early second quarter where Anthony Davis kind of realized that Jay Crowder was guarding him and he was so much bigger than him and that he could just get to the rim whenever he wanted an offensive rebound. And it was it, like, it took him six or seven minutes to feel out the other team. Cause that's what game ones are in a lot of ways of feeling out the other teams and their strategies and everything, especially for the Lakers. And he would have only played one or two times this this season it was like once davis realized like the size advantage he had on the interior it was scary to see him just dominate inside like that because up until this point in the playoffs we've seen so many teams the strategy is make them hit jumpers yeah so the the heat elected to do something similar they did against uh milwaukee which which was uh keep bam on the uh, traditional center that's mm-hmm. playing so they kept bam on brooke lopez mostly in the milwaukee series and then put jay crowder on that dominant i guess you call them a four you, i don't know, really know what to call anthony davis or Giannis. yeah <laughs> but put them at a four and then give uh help a lot off those shooters because i think the lakers and the bucks are both you know average below average three-point shooting teams um so help a lot off them and you know maybe you know, double both of them and see if you can kind of win that battle and, you know, save Bam for offense. Um, and so they tried that. And I don't think it worked in game one. Like, no. I, I think you have to try um, Bam on Anthony Davis, not doubling. And then either maybe you put in Ke- uh, Kelly Olenek or Myers Leonard, or maybe you just keep Jay Crowder and Dwight because Dwight's not a back you down type of guy anymore. He's really just like a pick and roll threat and an offensive rebounding type of guy. So yeah. that's personally what I would do in game two adjustment. And it's also, we, we can't talk about game one without talking about the injuries that the Miami Heat suffered. The biggest injury was Goran Dragic, who has been there, you could argue has been their best or second best player this entire postseason or, or restart. He was averaging like 21 points a game in, in the bubble. He goes down with a foot injury. The report is like it's a torn plantar fasciitis in his foot that may cause him to miss game two right now as we're doing this on Friday morning before game two. He's listed as doubtful. Bam Adebayo had a couple plays where he seemed like he hurt his wrist and then it was like his shoulder trying to draw a foul on Bam driving in. He's officially listed as doubtful with a neck sprain. Uh, Miami, just this is just terrible, terrible injury luck at the worst time. Just talk about just the adjustments that they'll have to make with without assuming that, that those two guys don't play. Just like, what do they have to do? Because I agree with you. I think they have to play Olenek more, and they have to play Myers Leonard. Yeah, I think uh, yeah, this is going to be an uphill battle without yeah. Dragic. Especially without Dragic, I think Bam will maybe will play tonight. I don't think Dragic will, but Dragic was key for them. One, he with none getting Corona, 
Um, he and Dragic really just stepped in and you know has played some of the best basketball of his career and has been essential to them getting to this point. So replicating that is going to be really hard to come by, especially in a rookie in his first NBA Finals and really his first meaningful playoff minutes. Um, so it's going to be tough. Can you get the regular season production out of none? Uh, it will be a big question mark. You're not, you can't replace Bam, I think. Yeah, no. Bam, Bam might be their most valuable player. He's not their best player, but he's their most valuable player. And like without Bam, the, this team is not going anywhere. And it's really interesting because we talk about what defensively they, they have to do because so much of it is Anthony Davis and LeBron James. Like, of course, you're playing a team with two of the five best players in the league. That has to be your focus. And Bam has proven to be this Swiss army knife of – you mentioned he wasn't the primary defender on Giannis or Chris Middleton during the Milwaukee series, but he guarded them at times and guarded them pretty well, like as well as you can guard other all-stars. And you saw it in the Boston series too of when he had to be switched onto Jason Tatum or, or Jalen Brown. He did a very, very good job. He's he's that Swiss Army knife defender for Miami the way that Anthony Davis is for the Los Angeles Lakers. And it'll be really interesting to see what they do adjustment-wise, because the biggest thing was they didn't really make any three-pointers in the first half. Duncan Robinson, 0 for 3. Drogic missed his one before he got hurt. You know, Jay Crowder made made 4, but like Olenek, 0 for 2. Solomon Hill, 0 for 4. Hero, 2 for 8. Like, if they made a couple more threes in the first half, that lead probably doesn't get to 30 points. You know, like, I think that the scoreline wasn't as indicative of the game because that was as close to as well as Anthony Davis could play and nowhere near even the medium level of where the Miami Heat could play. Yeah, you lose, say you say Bam's out tonight, you've got to play Olenek and Myers Leonard, so you will probably make more threes. Those guys are, you know, 40% three-point shooters, so you've got a lot of shooting on the floor now, but you, you lose so much in Bam, you know, a guy that can really guard one through five like yeah and, and you're not even scared about it and just amazing offensive rebounder you know he's just he's just grown into this unreal player so yes you will get more shooting out there um but you're losing so much that it's not it doesn't really matter that much it'll be interesting to see how jimmy butler evolves in game two because one of the things that i've noticed from watching him a lot this this playoffs in this in this whole post season is he is really really methodical in the way that he plays and i've been wrong on jimmy butler he's proven me wrong this whole postseason right and I'll, I'll be the first one to admit i was wrong but when he plays it's really funny sometimes he overpasses because he's doing yeah. what uh great players do which is he is trying to get other guys involved or sometimes he'll drive for the basket and he could get a layup or take a touch floater or something but he'll kick out to the corner to try to get a shooter going right and he'll do that the first three and a half quarters. I don't think that he can do that in game two if they don't have Bam or Drogic. Like He has to be assertive because what he can do and the pressure he puts on a defense when he drives and draws fouls and just makes the refs make calls, right? Because what he's doing is it may not look like a foul in a lot of ways, but by the letter of, of the law, it's like that James Harden thing. By the letter of, of the law, it is a foul. And he needs to take more than five free throws. He took five free throws in game one. If he can get to 12 or 14 free throws the way he was doing in that Milwaukee series to, to pull the upset, that's going to be really, really big for them. Because it slows down the clock. You can get Dwight and 
Anthony Davis in foul trouble, maybe some of the some of the wings. I'm looking for Jimmy Butler to change the mindset a little bit from instead of I have to get these other guys going and I can take over in the fourth quarter to I got to come out super aggressive and try to take over from the jump. Jimmy, like, Jimmy's been much better shooter in the playoffs. Like, mm-hmm. he's one willing to shoot and he's actually making these shots. So yeah. First, like, yes, he needs to be better at getting to the line and he's proven that he's top three in the league at getting to the line. So I think that will come. Um, but if he wants to take over, he's got to take more threes and make more threes. It just is going to put so much pressure on the defense. Will LeBron keep going under on those ball screens? Will will it make it easier for him to get to the rim and get more fouls called? Um, I think for Jimmy to, you know, what you said, really just take over this game, he's going to need to take more threes. And it is interesting because not – because I agree with you, maybe Jimmy has to take a couple more threes, but he's also not a great faraway shooter. He's shooting better, but just for his career, that I don't really want him to just say, all right, I'm coming out and taking nine threes tonight or something. But but if he can get to <laughs> six, that, as you're right. saying, it could open up the floor a little bit more. What I'm also looking for is what Olenek and Myers Leonard could present. You know, this is all hypothetical, but especially Olenek, who's a very good pick-and-pop player, if Dwight is guarding him, that gets Dwight farther away from the basket. If Anthony Davis is guarding him, that gets Anthony Davis farther away from the basket. And it could open up the rim a little uh, more for Kendrick Nunn drives if Drogic is out. If Drogic plays, Drogic drives, which is so good and just destroyed Indiana and Milwaukee with. And driving lanes for, for, for Jimmy Butler. Anything to get those guys farther away from the basket. And it'll be really interesting to see because Olenek hasn't played that much the last two rounds. Uh, he's at times not a part of the rotation. Leonard hasn't been in the rotation this entire postseason, except for the one game against, I want to say, Milwaukee that Olenek did not play. That was the only real minutes he got in in the playoffs. I think that they have to just try it and just say, you know, we have to get these guys away from the basket because Derek Jones Jr. is a great defender. Iguodal is a great defender, but you can't rely on those guys to not not just make shots, but make the defense respect them as shooters, which Olenek and Leonard do, especially Kelly Olenek, because he is a very good shooter. Also, they they need to do a better job at getting Duncan better looks. Um, mm-hmm. You know, KCP, all respect to KCP and Dana Green, like they really were um, fighting their screens and really staying on his hip to really just contest a good shot. But, you know, Getting Duncan involved is such a game changer for them. You're just like anytime he has an open look, you're like, oh god, like that's going in. And if you're the Lakers and he's getting a couple open looks, he's gonna, he's gonna, you know, maybe some guys are gonna help off of Jimmy more, or Jay Crowder right. more, get them open looks. So if they can get Duncan more, just more sets for Duncan. I know they run a lot, but just like some better looks for him, like that's gonna be a, a game changer for them as well. I also think that he'll be more aggressive in this game because just because just from all accounts. Uh, from what I've read and everything from from their team, with the way that they coach him is a lot of times they'll just show him clips of plays where he could have shot and instead he passed or something. I think he's going to come out and be super aggressive because the way it's been this whole bubble and, and kind of like this whole season, which is amazing, is every game that he struggles from three, like game one, he was 0 for 3, right? He comes out and he makes like his first two or three shots or four of his first six. Like He yeah. comes out firing, ready to go because he's too good of a shooter to have zero points because that – 
that won't continue, right? He'll make right. shots tonight. He'll make shots in game three, game four. The biggest thing is just not necessarily hiding him and Hero on defense, but it's figuring out ways to, on switches, maybe do like the scram switch that Boston is so good right. at of just, you know, yeah. make, if, if LeBron is going to make, is, if, if LeBron wants Duncan Robson or Tyler Hero to switch on to him, make it happen with six seconds to go on the shot clock or four seconds to go because you're switching so much and making it more difficult than just like giving into the switch with, 14, right? Because all that just makes the game slow down, fewer possessions, and makes the Lakers not have as much time to get great shots. Totally agree. Um, you know, they definitely try to hide Duncan. I mean, he's better than I thought on defense. I mean, he's, I think for one, he's a pretty, he's, his wingspan's long. He's also 6'7". Yeah. Um, so, you know, can they hide him by showing and hedging instead of switching? Like, that, that definitely is an option for them. It's also just like, you know, to be fair to Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero and anyone else on the Miami Heat, like, you're getting switched on to Anthony Davis and LeBron James. Like, you know, there's no one can really guard them, right? Like, Andre Iguodala or Kawhi Leonard are really like the only LeBron stoppers in the NBA. And Mm -hmm. it's not something, it's like, it's going to be unfair to those guys. That if it comes out, you know, if the Lakers do win the series and LeBron or Davis play great, it's like, well, they scored all this time on Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero and Kendrick Nunn. It's like, well, yeah, he's supposed to. LeBron James weighs sixty pounds more than both of them. Like, like yeah. of course, like like he should be doing that. It's just all about how do you adjust and just make it more difficult because Hero and Robinson are very good team defenders, very good in help. Duncan gets tons of deflections. Hero is always around the ball. Just saying that, like, oh, like they can't guard LeBron James and like they stink at defense, like that's just not fair because like no one can guard LeBron. He's LeBron James for a reason. He's the best player ever. Yeah, I mean, it, LeBron was not even like amazing in Game One. If yeah. LeBron can step it up for them, like not step it up, but just like take his it's a different level because he's always looking to like get other guys involved. Like yeah. he said, like Jimmy Butler, but like if he can really just take over game because I don't. I mean, Anthony Davis, well, he will, if Bam plays, I, I do think Bam can check him out a little bit. You know, you can't stop Anthony Davis, but, yeah. you know, miss a couple more shots, get to the line less. Maybe Anthony Davis is 0 for 3 from 3 that game. Just, he's, not, he's not hitting those. but Just make LeBron, it harder. Just make right. it harder for, for both of them. And then if LeBron can step it up to the next level, it's going to be tough for the Heat. But if he doesn't, he's, keep, he's being more passive and presents an opportunity for Miami. For sure. Like this series is people are going to say like it's over and it's not over yet because we haven't seen Miami play that play anywhere close to, as I said before, like their medium or average level of play. They played very poorly on Monday night. And a lot of that had to do with, you know, the Lakers are also really, really good. But Miami made the finals for a reason. And over this course of this series, we're going to see them play well. The injuries obviously are the biggest X factor in this because if Drogic and Bam don't play, it's going to be so hard for them to score enough to 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 beat the Lakers. But you know, I'm I'm excited for Game Two tonight. I'm excited for Game Three and and, and Game Four because you have Spolstra's a great coach, Pat Riley, great basketball minds. They both had LeBron. Like, I think it's just going to be really interesting to see like if they pull out any tricks from to try to mess with LeBron because of their prior relationship with him. Like, who, who knows, right? Like, like maybe they try to do with the Dallas 2011 thing and just. All right, LeBron. Like Kendrick Nunn's on you. Like post up every time. Yeah, I also expect them want to, to to use their zone more. Like they only use it for, for like, sure. two possessions in game one. Like, like they were Spolstra down too much. He, 
he knows what they're doing. Like he knows what to do. He's he's gonna utilize it more and better in game two. One hundred percent, Leo. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, emergency edition of the Double Double. We don't <laughs> we don't need to do predictions just because it started game two. But like, if you had to predict, uh, not you know, don't do prediction for the series, but just prediction for for game two. Uh, just with the injuries, I think the, the Lakers are going to win, but I think it's going to be close. I, I'll, I'll say Lakers like 106 to 98. I'll go Lakers uh, 112, 101. Interesting. Interesting. Leo, always appreciate the time. Stay safe out there and uh, enjoy the, the rest of the uh, NBA Finals. Uh, you too. Have a good weekend, Dave. That'll do it for this episode of the Double Double. If you like this podcast, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts where you can subscribe, rate, and review. Five stars would be much, much appreciated. You can also follow us on Twitter at dbl underscore dblpodcast. We'll be back next week. Until then, take care and make it a great day.